I'm Andrew Constantine, and this is A Stick With A Point. Hello everyone, and thanks for being with me again for more chat about the rarely seen aspects of the classical music business. Today's guest enjoyed a career in making things happen, putting together some of the largest components in the performing arts world, whilst ensuring that everyone involved was made to feel like they were a valued and essential component. As you'll hear, he oversaw the launch of one of the world's great new concert halls, and delivered spectacular performances to an eager and enthusiastic audience. So I'm joined today and delighted to be joined by my old friend Andrew Jowett, who until just a few years ago was the director of Town Hall and Symphony Hall in Birmingham. Andrew, great to see you. Yeah, no, I'm to see you. Long time. Well, it has been a long time, and um, we'll maybe go into that in a in a little while, but. For uh, listeners who perhaps aren't um, cognizant of the, the venues I was talking about, the Town Hall in Birmingham and Symphony Hall in Birmingham, Symphony Hall in particular is one of the great concert halls of the world. I was reading today, I went onto Wikipedia, and it was um, tested and voted the seventh best acoustic in the world and the best acoustic in the UK, they didn't have to do any testing to, to know it's the best yeah. in the UK. Um, but that really says something about the hall. And it's just, I read as well, celebrated its 30th anniversary. And you were there at the beginning and before, weren't you? Yeah. Oh, the 30th the anniversary is 15, it was opened on 15th of April, 1991. And I started working for Symphony Hall around about September in 1988. So when I retired, it'd been 20, almost 28 years, so I've been there, man and boy in a way. And I did two jobs. I was director at the art center at the University of Warwick, which is in Coventry, about 20 miles up the road from Birmingham. And so for about three months, I worked between the two, the two roles, stayed on at Warwick, as long as I could, and then and started as soon as I could at, at Symphony Hall. But of course it was a building site, it was nothing to do. It was just a blank sheet. It was, a, it was a, a, literally um, a, an entrance. You could just about work out where everything was going to be because the hall itself sits within a bigger building, which is uh, the International Convention Center, which complicated the issue. It wasn't a standalone, totally standalone building. So it, it, it was a big building. Uh, it was the largest single investment in a local authority, over 200 million in 19, uh, 1990, you know, which is, was a huge amount of money from, for any local authority to spend. And Birmingham is the largest single unitary, uh, unitary authority in the UK. So it has the leverage to do that. Um, and I think it's one of the largest unitary authorities in Europe, to be honest. I mean, London is, Birmingham, Birmingham's view, London is just 39 warring boroughs. So it's not a, a city as, a, as such. It is a, it, it has a more unified approach now with the mayor, with the mayor of London. So yeah, there's a sort of sense there where London, London is a, such a massive place, you know, with, the, with what, 10 million people. Birmingham is a city of 1 million people, 1 million people. 
within the local authority area. So it's a significant player, bigger than any of the other cities in the UK. So it was good that they, they um, uh, invested in that and they had an ambition, which was, and I remember this to this day, the day I was appointed, and you know, you have to do your press call and things. And I was stood against this sign in a long, long sign, must be in order. You know, the length of Symphony Hall outside mm-hmm. is about, I suppose it's been about oh, 300 yards. And, and this sign said, this is the site of the International Convention Center and one of the world's great concert halls. The city wore its ambition very clearly on its sleeve. And that's what it intended to create. And that's what it did create in the end. Uh, certainly the best concert hall in the, in the United Kingdom. Um, I had, a, had an interesting conversation once with the, and the participants in this conversation. One was um, Thomas Hampson, the very acclaimed mm. baritone that in um, American. And the other was Martin Sanders, who was the director of the concert band. The other, the other was Thomas Anyam, who was the director of the, of the music there are, and arguably the two greatest concert wow. halls in mm. Europe. And Thomas Hampson was introduced to me and he said, oh, he said, you run Symphony Hall, it's the best concert hall in the world. Oh, I said, could you say that again in front of these two <laughs> people? And Thomas, bless his concerts, Thomas said, well, perhaps the best concert hall built in the 20th century. So I would, I, I concede that from Thomas and uh, that, that was, was good. So it, it has been acclaimed and, you know, it's fine for me to say it's great. It is, but I wouldn't expect me to say it. But um, but it, it, most of the, the artists that have that have played there and they always want to come back and it was always a sort of a, particularly classical music artist and that's really what it was good for because then in those days when it was designed and built it was of course Simon Rattle was was music director of the CB the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra and he was a largely catalyst for for that for, for the city to have the um, the courage to invest 40, 50 million pounds or whatever it costs in a venture. When, to be honest, I mean, it, there was a huge amount of opposition from central government for it with um, uh, Mrs. Thatcher was prime minister and um, Nicholas Riddle was the, when they were, when this was whole thing was starting to be, to be uh, put together an investment and there was not really any support from central government. So Birmingham as a city said, okay, we'll do it ourselves and did it themselves. And they raised the money and they've got with no central government support at all from that. Now, so, tell me, Andrew, did, you talk about uh, Simon Rattle as being an important, and I'm sure a major catalyst in the hall uh, being built, but surely there must've been other drivers, individuals as drivers as well. It couldn't, Surely yeah. you've been one, one conductive. Well, you know, well, you know um, how charismatic um, leaders can, can influence, can, can, be, can, can um, motivate so much enthusiasm and commitment in the community, but you had to have the political community alongside you there. So in Birmingham was interesting because um, Local authorities in the 70s and 80s and 90s to a certain degree played um, a difficult um, game with the politicians played a difficult game where, where the, the, the left wing and the right wing of, of, of parties um, uh, played politics with what was good of the city. Birmingham has always been a city where the politicians 
recognize the fact that if it was good for the city, it was good for everybody and we should all come together and get behind it. You can modify, you can change, you can agree, you can compromise. But in the end, if it has, if it's worth talking about and worth investing in, it's worth doing. And that's what happened in Birmingham. They got, the politicians were completely behind it. And that coupled with, you know, because Rattle's reputation was, was ascendant in future. I mean, it was about 27, I think, when, yeah, when he went to the orchestra. Mm-hmm. And a couple of years later, it was, it was all sort of starting to kick off. And, and he made the case. And um, it, he, he, was, he articulated it properly. So he what said, was the case? The case was that, in his view, he, because I, I'll go back a little bit in time if you want to talk about the town hall, because the, 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 the orchestra played in the town hall, which, now that sounds like it's a, a municipal building. It wasn't really. It was it's what you, call, what you call the town's hall. It was, in effect the oldest concert hall in the world. It was built and opened in, 19, in 1834. And, and it's still original, basically, as, as it was built. It was opened in, 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 in 1834 by Felix Mendelssohn. And Mendelssohn uh, was commissioned uh, by the festival in Birmingham to, to create, he wrote, Elijah was a, was a commission for that and various other things. But, but Birmingham, Birmingham had this concert hall, but it, and it was fine in certain respects, but not big enough for a modern orchestra. When you think of 1834, the orchestra size and shape of an orchestra was very different. You know, Marla hadn't started on his burn, Shostakovich, and you know, all those the yeah. big works that we now, that we now know. Um, uh, and orchestras I, weren't as loud then, simple no, as that. And, and you know, and, and the town hall, I, <laughs> You, you lost the will to live after a while because you, you couldn't hear sort of the, the bases that were stacked up behind. The, you still couldn't hear it, but depending on where you sat. But so, so Simon was getting very frustrated by the concert hall and, um, and needed to, uh, and he, he was, his view was that if the city were backing cultural agenda, which is what basically what they were doing, investing in their theatres, their repertory theatre, their touring theatres and, and, bringing eventually, because um, what was Sadler's Wells Royal Ballet to Birmingham was the Birmingham Royal Ballet. So they brought a whole ballet company, Lock, Stock and Barrel from London, and based at the, Hippo, at the Hippodrome Theatre. So Birmingham was in the process of, of, of channeling its, its, uh, its energies and money into a cultural-led renaissance. And Rattle was the front end of that, um, and supported, obviously, by his board, uh, a very wise gentleman called George Jonas, who was the chairman of the orchestra. Um, Ed Smith, of course, you know, was the chief executive of the orchestra. And, you know, that was quite a strong, and, and George was an ex-politician as well. He was a, an ex-Labour councillor in Birmingham. So he knew all the insides there and the ways around it. And he was a very articulate lawyer. Um, so you've got, you got this sort of energy that was going forward. And, and then, <laughs> and then, there's one other person who I should mention. There's the, polit- the political leaders, but there's also in those days not we didn't have a mayor in the. Uh, you had a, a lord mayor, which was an honorary um, sort of uh, first citizen. Um, but there's the chief executive of the orchestra, which basically you call now city manager, I suppose, as that were. The chief executive of the city was a man called Tom Colcott, and he was a great supporter of the of, of the of the um, of the arts 
and its role potentially in um, in the welfare of the city, a city that needs that wants to attract investment, and Birmingham had a reputation for being a difficult city because it was an industrial city. It was very industrial. Most of what was made in the UK got some input from Birmingham. Um, and what what Tom was trying to do was to realign the the um, the the commercial, industrial, and retail base of the of the city, and um, and rather than invest in out of town developments and malls and things outside, he's investing in the city centre. So when the international convention centre was mooted uh, alongside Symphony Hall, that's in the city centre, not outside the city like the international and the exhibition centre is, where you need a vast space. You didn't need such a big space. And Tom had bought this, <laughs> off, off of his own bat in a way, bought this space, bought the site from a man that was selling it uh, overnight, basically. He needed the money and he ate for eight million pounds. He bought the site, which is wow. the site where Symphony Hall sits. But he mm. needed that. It wasn't gone to a council committee or anything. It was done like by, by a man who made a decision on behalf of the city council. And he cleared it obviously with the political leadership, but but it, it was a it was it needed that energy. So people with commitment and with with drive and with foresight and and vision, uh, and then it gradually it started to come into place. And then you got people like Russell Johnson, the acoustician, because because Rattle was instrumental in getting Johnson there because he's been Russell had actually created the the concert hall in Nottingham. And uh, and Rattle and he was the um, he was the acoustician on that, and Rattle liked that, and so he said, "You should. This is the man you want. Get him." So Russell Johnson was appointed, and you know, and then it off it off it goes, and you know, and you just get that sort of so the history of this whole thing. And I always say that Symphony Hall just didn't exist in limbo. It wasn't just it happened because of a whole series of things. But the first thing that happened was. Birmingham had a concert hall, which was a very old and very revered and very established concert hall, i.e. the town hall. And if the town hall had not existed, Symphony Hall is largely not, not existed because the orchestra probably wouldn't have existed because the orchestra um, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have had anywhere to, anywhere to perform in Birmingham. So I always think, you know, the wheel turned again. You know, so the wheel happened in, it happened, the town hall was built to house the music festival, famous music triangle festival in Birmingham. In the, in the early 19th century. And then, and then yeah, 200 years on virtually, then um, uh, the, the Symphony Hall came out of it. And yeah, I was privileged to be, to be part of that. I mean, I came on to the city, when I say it, when it was, when I was involved, it was like starting to be, it was, well, I mean, I suppose like quarter built, I suppose. But you can so It's all about momentum, isn't it? It's about it single vision. Um, yeah. bringing partners on board who are like-minded and and driving that and it just goes to show that even the in these days the most seemingly outrageous projects um ones you have to to sell to to disbelievers are possible and there we are now with as we said one of the great concert halls of the world and you were brought on board as you say two and a half years or so before the actual building opened so what was your brief at the time? How were they directing you? <laughs> well, it was it was strange because when I had my interview, um, 
uh, I, I was interviewed by the chairman of the National Exhibition Centre, a very far-sighted gentleman called David Justin. And, and David was chair, he was the um, chair of, of Central Television and also, um, uh, it was, I think it was IMI, the Imperial Metal Industries in, in Birmingham, uh, or in Black Country, it's just north of Birmingham. And, uh, and David, <laughs> so at this interview, he, he pestered me to conference see this interview. And I, I thought, no, come on, I don't really want to go to just a one concert hall because I was running Warwick Art Centre, which had got two theatres and it got an art gallery and it had got a concert hall and a film theatre and restaurants and stuff. So I don't know, one concert hall, that was well. So anyway, he said, look, he rang me one day and said, I'd like, I'd like to come and talk to you about this. I think I can convince you, you should be coming to this. So all right, fine. So eventually I went, I met him and, um, and we had this discussion with the chief executive of the, of the exhibition center, David. And um, he said to me, he said, he said if, the Viet, if the Vienna Philharmonic wanted to come to Birmingham, which I think the city would like to see because it wants to bring in orchestras from overseas, how much would they pay? Uh, I said, I think we're starting from a, a different perspective here. They're not, Vienna Philharmonic will not be hiring the concert hall. It's, it will be, we will have to hire the Vienna Philharmonic to play in the concert hall. Oh, right. And he said, so what would that cost us? I said, well, I really don't know. I said, I've never hired the Vienna Philharmonic, but I thought, well, I think you wouldn't get any change from a hundred thousand pounds. And this was talking in 1988. So. And he said, oh, and he said, right. well, then the city council is going to have to subsidize that. So fine. So, <laughs> so, so you started, so suddenly we started to have a, it was starting to get into, in, wait, where do you start this? So you, you look at the big commitments, the big commitments to the orchestra, the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra, so bang, into a diary goes that. So you've got that sorted. Then the city aspired to having the great orchestras of the world there. So right, first time in Birmingham, really. There, this is the, the Gofandas, the Kosekabau, it's the New York Philharmonic, it's the you know, Philadelphia Orchestra, the, the, the symphonies from you know, San Francisco and Los Angeles, and all over the state. And the European orchestra, the, the great, the, the Berlin, the Berlins and Viennas and Leipzig, and you know all that, um, Bayerischen Rundfunk, and um, yeah, the, the, there's such a wealth of, of, of orchestral talent in in Europe as well as you know uh, the US. So why did they want to bring it to Birmingham? That, 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 well, there's a tangent there, Andrew, that I think is very important. That uh, here we are today that a lot of people are saying that the days of orchestral touring are over and what's the point of, of uh, bringing orchestras from all around the world to wherever. And you're um, alluding to a perspective there that obviously thought it was going to be of great value to the city to bring those great orchestras to town. Why? Why well, did they think that? If you, if you work on the basis that, um, that, that Birmingham wanted to position itself as a great European world city, which you know, in the UK, it is a great city in the UK, but you know, it, it's had so many years of, of people being scathing about Birmingham, about the accent of people. The, the, um, and, and Birmingham was, was always inspiration in terms of its arts. I mean, it had the Great Triangle Festival. It was one of the very first festivals in the, in the world. I mean, I know the, the three... The three choirs is, is a, a, a long-standing festival, but 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 the triennial was it was a great major world festival, and and 
and, and it and Birmingham always aspired to have a bit of a choral tradition. It wasn't so much an orchestral tradition in the city. The festival chorus and the city choir and all this were all part of a, of a choral tradition there, which was more of a more dominant than the orchestral the commission until until we got Rattle and well, I mean Elgar obviously was was, was Elgar conducted the first performance with the with the in town hall with um, the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra was it or City I think it was called the Birmingham Symphony Orchestra it was called City of Birmingham in those days, but he conducted the first one and then it went on you know from, from there onwards of you know the the range of conductors and culminating well now with with Jacinta uh, Tyler and. Uh, and Andres Nelsons and, uh, and Zachary Aramont, you know, the, since Rattle does the three, you know, all three of which are, are major figures in, in the world. And Birmingham set itself out to be a, a city which valued its culture. And that's what the statement it was making. It's a world city. So therefore we should have world stand, we should compare ourselves with the very best in the world. So we want our orchestra to be the best in the world, but we're realistic enough to know that will not happen automatically, but we're happy to, have it, have it uh, compared with the Concertgebouw, with, uh, with the Vienna Philharmonic and, and, and all the great European orchestras. It puts us in a, in a context. And when I, when, when I started that programme, nobody had ever done anything like that really in the UK out of London. But London was a different beast anyway because London didn't promote, the orchestras were promoted very much more by the agents and and in, in the Barbican and in the South Bank. And whereas, whereas when it comes to Birmingham, I promoted them, I took the risk and I made the books balance. And that's because that's what the city aspired to. And, and the difficulty that cities have faced over the years now has been that the, the discretion we spend on those sorts of things, which in the arts we would say, it's not discretion, it's absolutely fundamental to the quality of life of the citizens of the city, that you, you have a... a like you have a libraries, like you have light, you have parks, you have all those recreational things which people um, uh, want to ensure, enjoy and participate in. And they, they enhance the quality of life in the city. It makes the city an attractive place. So if you want to bring bankers into the city, you have to have something that, that, that will attract the people who are the bank to the city. If you want to make have the influences there, you know, people not, I'm not talking about these people who influences on the internet. I'm talking about people who make decisions about you know, investment and all that sort of thing, not just bankers, but accountants and lawyers and all the rest of the infrastructure that goes with, with an industrial and a commercial center. Then you have to have a city in which people want to come and live in and participate in. And, you know, and, and cities, with major um, social problems, unemployment problems, racial problems, you know, are, are not attractive places for people. To, people want to have a quality of life, which is something which surpasses, you know, their expectation. And that's where Birmingham set its stall out. And, and the, you know, and the fact that, that it's built the infrastructure, but now has difficulty maintaining and developing and keeping it in, um, in focus as a, in terms of the quality and range of what they do is, is the difficulty they are facing. But then, you know, we all faced, we opened the Symphony Hall in 1991, just the start of a big depression and recession, you know, okay, so we did it, but, you know, 
you on, you get through it, you keep on going. So we'll get through this COVID thing, but you know, it, it's this is one of the largest and diff most difficult problems in the time that the concert hall's been closed and not operating. You know, is as a concert hall, it makes it very difficult to get it back into focus again. And I don't envy my successor in the art of honest. So, so how did you perceive? the appetite for classical music in, in the community at that time and and how do you perceive it now do you think that covid will have affected it i think um i think there's no doubt it it will have it, it will have affected it's it's affected the audience's motivations of audiences uh enthusiasm for being together with other people you know people are split now you know people are feel isolated and they feel um, as though they're on a, a lonely track at the moment, a single track. And, you know, even now, you know, walking just as I do in, in, in Laos, you know, people are wearing masks and it's difficult. Do you know, it's difficult. You don't see people smile and it's yeah. very difficult. You know, you want to be happy. You want people to be, you want to enjoy your life, your existence. And you can see the eyes. You can sometimes see it in the eyes. That's usually okay. We think we're getting maybe there's one thing about these masses. Maybe we get more, more, um, a little bit more sort of uh, clued as to the signals that people give as to whether they're happy or unhappy or the rest of it. But but it, that's the need. The difficulty people are going to face is that do they are they now we've had not been brainwashed, but we've been reminded incessantly about the need to space face and hands and all that stuff and keep your distance don't don't hug don't enjoy it but people need to and i think you know the human condition is such that you know it the need is going to be transcendent over the 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 the, the need to keep apart you see what i mean so there's a sort of sense there where where people will start to come back into what I think are the more traditional ways of communicating people. Um, and and I, but it'll take time. It won't be instant. I don't mm. think for the moment it's going to be instant. No. And, and it, there are several different things there, aren't there, Andrew? There's, mm. there's the need to congregate. There's the need for, for um, socialising. There's the need to experience yeah. art together. And then there's the, the actual uh, love of the product itself. And that's something I'm interested in. I mean, how did you, how did you gauge um, what what the uh, public in Birmingham was going to um, respond to? The public of Birmingham was was so um, that they 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 were in need of being. Something this is rather patronising, but. They, they wanted to be recognised. They wanted they wanted people to recognise their city. They're immensely proud of their city in many respects, you know. And, and this is not just people in Birmingham. We're talking really about a regional problem, regional perspective, I suppose. And and I, and you know, always struck me as being um, as as being a, a welcoming when people when an orchestra visited for the well first time. A visiting orchestra came. Whenever they came, when they came off the platform, they were applauded like, hey, welcome. Thanks for coming. You know, it's that sort of feel well. It was wonderful. Yeah. And you know, that's the moment that you, you know, when you see and hear something which you've never heard before, never experienced before, you know, to hear a great orchestra, you could play the same piece of music, playing the Beethoven, Beethoven Fifth Symphony, say, you know, I mean, 
it's played very differently by the Vienna Philharmonic as opposed to the City Berlin Symphony Orchestra, as opposed, as opposed to the New York Philharmonic. You know, I mean, it, it's a different beast entirely. And, and, and that's what people really enjoy. You can sit and listen to all those recordings if you wanted to on your, you know, your headsets and stream them and download them and do whatever you want now. But it's not the same as sitting there for that moment, that unique moment. And that's really, I think it's probably something to do with the danger of performance. Um, you know, when, when, is this orchestra really as good as they say they are? You know, you sort of you know, think, well, actually, they are probably nearly as good as we think they are. But, but you know, it's that, it's, that moment, it's that moment. And, you know, and you, you feel for the orchestra, but in, in an acoustic like Symphony Hall where it took no prisoners whatsoever, you made one single slip and everybody knew you, you got it wrong. And because in a matter where you sat, it was the same, you were getting a, a very intense, very early um, sound, which was, you know, was was coming to you personally, and that's the, and that's that's why a concert hall is different from anything mm. else because it, it is it's it is a, and I know people get all upset about having to sit there and be quiet, but but you know, the rewards of doing that are so intense that it's you know it's quite staggering that that a room can create that moment that moment when the shut we shut the doors in the concert hall and everybody's in there and an orchestra comes on and it's welcomed and yeah and, 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 I remember forget George Shorty coming for the first time and Shorty walked on the platform with um I can't remember the name with a singer she, he was doing the four of our songs he walked stalked on behind her sort of made you know and he was a sort of like a uh Slightly threatening character in, in his way he walked, the way you know, he made to take a bow and to take a bow and thing. And then he stood on the on the podium and the place just erupted. I've never heard anything mm. like it. He wouldn't, he couldn't start. And just that one moment, that man made that audience, 2,261 people, um, be, be stand to attention to listen to what he was going to deliver and what our orchestra was going to deliver. It was staggering, you know. You think, how do you, how do, you do that? What is it about those characters, that moment? And it's that moment in time, isn't it? That, oh yeah, it's individual yeah. and personal charisma, yeah. isn't it? And yeah. and it so often um, goes way beyond just the music making. It's it's yeah. it, the magic and the aura surrounding those people. And it's irrational, it's illogical, but we all respond to it. And it's what um, it. In many ways, it's what keeps us going. I, I want to pick up on a word you used about the audience then. I want to apply it to you because you described the welcome of the audience. And I have to say, um, and I'm, I'm way beyond any need to flatter you, Andrew Jarrett, um, <laughs> uh, those days are way gone. But the truth is, you personally were always incredibly welcoming. Now, I know that when I used to go to Symphony Hall, it was it was kind of slightly privileged and, and, um, and I'd, I'd come and join people for drinks and what have you. But I witnessed that with everybody who was there as, as um, um, ticket buying members of the public. Your, all of your interactions were personal, they were sincere, they were warm, they were well received. And it was as though you were welcoming people into, into your home. Yeah. And it was as simple as that. And that, that's, it, it begins with something like that. 
And I suspect that's why you were you were headhunted in the first place for this, because I'm sure you were doing the same at Warwick Art Centre up the road and and your other venues before that. I was I was probably a bit preparatorial in in Symphony Hall because I, I was the first woman, first director, and first. Yeah, but you never said to anyone, you know, wipe your feet or <laughs> no. step on that. It was, come on in, come on in. Here's our place. There was a chap who was, um, he, he was uh, festival director at the Edinburgh Festival, Jonathan. And he came down once when Valery Gergiev was conducting in the Mariinsky Theatre, the Mariinsky Orchestra. And and he was talking about Edinburgh and coming to Edinburgh and all the rest. That's why he was down. So... And it, I said to him, "Well, come along to the come along at the interval or whatever, and have a have a, have a drink in the in the director's lounge, you know, and uh, find so, Of course, it was a lot of people there, so I was helping. I think it was Danny, I think, who was working the, 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 uh, on on there, and and I so put so I'm helping pour the drinks and and do, you know and doing all that and passing them around. So you got 15 minutes to do it, you know, and. Even though he, with, with Valeri, it could say you might stretch the interval for a little bit longer than 15 minutes, but because he having another meeting in, the, in, the, in his dressing room. <laughs> <laughs> but, he, but he's notorious for that. And, um, but then this, Jonathan said to me, he said, he said why, why are you pouring the drinks? And I said, well, I said, you, you said to my mom to go, you know, this is my room. I, I, I'm, you're my guest. And it's like I'm, I'm being at home. I wouldn't expect somebody else to pour my drink for um, deliver. I'd make people welcome. That's the whole point of it. That's the, that's what it's, what it's all about, and that's why you know it was you know all my colleagues worked closely with you with me on that you know and and that was so important that you that people understood that that, that it was a very personal thing that you know this is my concert hall. And I'm running it for the city council. All those people have made those decisions early on. They were all made. People put their necks on the line all the time. And we have to make it successful. We have to, to, to develop it and, and feel fulfill their ambition. You know, you don't always get it right. But, you know, I think you've got a lot of it right. And, um, and we had a great, con we, have, we still have a great concert hall. And, and but probably I said to Ed Smith only a few months back that, you know, I think we saw the glory years then in the mm. 1991, those 10, 10, 15 years of really changing the pattern of concert going in the city, but also nationally. Because out of that, then, then Manchester had a concert hall, well, Cardiff predated us. But, but. And but, then Gateshead? And Gateshead, why, yeah, man, yeah. Gage. <laughs> Um, Sage and Gateshead, yeah. I mean, it was also, you know, Glasgow. Well, there was, I mean, the, the new ones were Manchester, Glasgow, Birmingham, Sage, Gateshead, um, and Cardiff, really. What do you think are the, the components then that, that are needed to, um, to sustain and grow into the future audiences for classical music? Well, I mean, I've been, I've been separated a little bit from it for a while, but I think... Yeah, I, I think I so said that the need is for people to have a sense of adventures. Uh, uh, not, and it's fine to do, you know, the great classical works. I mean, it's fine, but you know, there's always a need. I think for people to be, just be pushed that bit far, and people are very accepting of, of that. As long as they're not going to, you know, contemporary music is always viewed as as being uh, difficult music. 
and some of it is, to be fair. I mean, some of it is very sort of intellectual and, and, and not very well explained. I had a good friend who used to run Durngate, um, and he, Simon, did, he did CBSO, uh, were doing a concert, and they did some uh, piece by Berio, I think it was. Mm. And, um, and, 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 and Bob turned around to Simon at the, before the concert, and he said, why the hell are you doing that work? Come on, it's kept the audience away. You know, they don't understand it. I don't, can't get it. And I know a bit about music than most of them. He said, why are you doing it? And Simon then explained to him why I was doing it. And Bob then turned around to him, why the hell don't you tell the audience that then? And they would understand that. You know, and, you know don't just do it. Give them some context for it. And I think people, I think Bob was absolutely right. People, people, don't like to feel intellectually embarrassed mm. you know what are you supposed to think about a place like that what you know why why is it difficult what is it what's what's the composer trying to do what's the, what's the interpretation trying to, to bring out what you know simple stuff it's not a i don't think it's a big i don't think it's a big deal in in many respects but communicate with the orchestra with the audience not just through the music, just give them some clues. So, and that, and people will go for the adventure. People, people will go for what they know. Yes, because you know, Beethoven Five is a wonderful, great. Well, work what they think that. they know. Well, that's right. But you know, it's usually from television adverts and stuff. Yes, <laughs> yes. But I, d I don't mean to be. Pal don't want you to think I'm being patronising by making that statement. But yeah. uh, when you say that um, people think that Berio is going to be difficult for them, it's because there's no history in their listening experience to to that sort of music yeah. and uh, that's maybe an unfortunate example um but they go to a concert of Tchaikovsky, Dvorak, Beethoven, Brahms all of these names because they haven't heard that they're going to feel uncomfortable there and somebody like Simon wouldn't feel as though he had to really explain things although I think things are changing, we do need to explain even the, the basic canon to, to people a lot more. And in a way that's good because you can embrace more contemporary music in that education, if you like, at the same time. Give it a context, I think, yeah. isn't it? Give it, yeah. another, give it a position which is, which is not just an intellectual one, it's, it's got to have a sort of... Um, Will you immediately turn people off if they think they're going for, for a... a a wonderful night out with friends, family, whatever, um, and it's going to be purely an intellectual challenge, or it's it's going to be something that they're going to be wrestling with. Yeah, yeah, and and that's and that's paying. For, they're paying for a ticket. They're, they are actually paying a lot of money for the experience, so they want it to be. I don't think they want it to be just to be sort of like a happy thing, a, a, something which is just you know like a flaccid thing. They want something just got energy and 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 commitment behind it and sometimes that needs works which are a little bit more difficult with a work that is difficult talk about it that's yeah. my 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 view i think bob was right with simon somebody like rattle is so articulate he knows exactly what he's doing why not share it i mean that would be my some compos some conductors are not very good at sharing things like that but well look that's one aspect of, of what's going to help us with audiences moving forwards, but great venues to visit, like Symphony Hall, has got to be yeah. another factor as well, and uh, and creating a wonderful experience for people from the moment they walk through the door, and that's yeah. what you would have been overseeing all that time. 
Yeah, you've got to welcome people. You know, they're not they're there. They're paying your wages. It's got to be part of the the the, the deal that you uh, you know you give them a, a, a night out. It is. It's very easy when you're in a concert hall, 365 days a year, to think, oh, just another night. You should not think that ever, because every night is unique to the people who are coming to enjoy it. It could be, you could have an audience of 2,000 people all having a birthday. It's their birthday night out. I mean, it would never be like that, but but you know, you, you it's a special night. It's a special occasion. It's a, it's something to get dressed up for. They're dressed up physically. They're dressed up sort of mentally. You know, that's the way, the way, the way it is. And and. It's never underestimate, never get blase about it. Never underestimate their the need for it, this for something to be really special, something to be, you know, part of uh, their their existence, which is out of the ordinary, which is which is you know absolutely you know on uh, a complete and utter different plane, you know, and like that. That's always the, the thing. And that, a smile. I always said that stewards when we first picking the team of stewards, I don't want anybody on the team that's not happy saying, good evening, sir, good evening, madam. Hello, um, can I help you? And smile. It <laughs> don't cost anything in any of that. You know. Now we're getting to the nub of it, Andrew. This is your philosophy of how to present the whole evening as a great experience, a welcoming experience, something that people want to go away from thinking, I enjoyed that, I'm going to do that again. And it, it builds, yeah. it builds up, bravo you. Hey, I'm going to go in a totally different direction now okay. because this is this is all the nice, happy, grand stuff and wonderful achievements. Yeah. Um, tell me about some fires you've had to put out. Oh God, I don't remember any, I don't remember hey. any. Oh, you can talk about Jesse Norman now because she's not suing you, but you know, that was a difficult one. <laughs> the second time Miss Norman came and she had a contract which was very specific. She has to have a particular stuff. So she has to have a, a, a heavy on water in the dressing room. Uh, she has to have non-allergenic tissues on open. She has to have a coffee and tea or whatever it was. And she has to have a hotel which has got no, with good opening windows, no air conditioning and a car. So yeah, oh, okay. So we had um, we had her on, on set twice. First time was was fine because Richard Crofts came with her. Next time, um, she was on her own. So we had to pick what we thought she was having her own car, you know, somebody picking her up was organized. No, not being organized. So, but fortunately I asked my colleague Chris to go and just check at the hotel, which was about 10 miles out of the city. It's because it was an, an, an opening windows hotel, quiet location, you know, all that. So with a bed, which is a bed board in, and it was queen size minimum, you know. And so we had all that. And fortunately, Chris managed to get, get a car quickly because he said, has the car come yet for me? It's not, no, oh my God, 10 minutes. So he got a car sorted out within about 15 minutes. Of course, that was not good enough. So by the time they arrived in the concert hall, I was there, she drove, could almost drive straight onto the platform, the symphony hall, because of the way it was mm -hmm. access was. And, and I saw Miss Norman in the back of the car, you know, looking very uh, little difficult. I suppose, I think he was slightly grumpy with looking. And, and she had a big uh, carrier with a dress in the, the concert. 
So I said, would you like me to carry that, Miss Norman? And she said, um, no, thank you, I'll carry it myself. So, okay, fine. So uh, putting you in the same dressing room as last time, Miss Norman, if that's okay. I don't recall. I said, okay, fine, when you go in the lift. And we went in a lift and, you know, my dread all the time was that was just me and uh, Jessie Norman in this lift and <laughs> holding up this big bag of things above her head. It was that big a bag. And I thought, oh my gosh, please lift, don't break down, don't break down, keep on going. It was one of those lifts that when you go in, it sort of dropped a bit. And and then it did, and it got to, only had to go one floor. Because she came out. And then into the dressing room and she clocked the um, the Evian water, the, 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 you know, would you like anything else? Who's going to take me to the platform? I said, Richard, we here, Miss Norman. Who will, will I have a dresser? So yes, it was Josie, the lady that was doing the dressing. So that was all so fine. I need to be called at two o'clock. And I said, there was a, there's a photographer coming. Uh, you'll have to be cancelled too late now. And there was this 10 minutes, you know, like, and this bloke had come from his holiday. He'd broken down. So anyway, so we had all that. Um, and then, uh, um, and then the, I went to see the stage manager, uh, Vic, and I said, is everything okay? And he said, yeah, yeah, she's done all the the the, the um, uh, vocalising and everything, and she's slight, so everything's fine. So, I, oh, good. He said, no, she's, in, she's okay now. She's no problem. So, I, and he said, and I've even sorted out the fly. I said, what fly? And he said, <laughs> well, when she was singing, when she was rehearsing with the pianist, this um, fly found her on the platform and it buzzed around and, you know, Jesse Norman had a, a very big head and a big mouth, a big vocalizing mouth, you know, and it was, and this fly was determined to head in the <laughs> direction and she didn't like this fly. So I said to Vic, I said, and he said, look, uh, I got this, we got this fly, big blue bottle fly on a saucer. And I said, well, how did you catch that? He said, I didn't. He said, but I found one. And he said, if she asked me, did you sort out the fly? I said, yes, of course I did, Miss Norman. There it is. <laughs> I said, give that man, that man a pay rise. That was just, <laughs> it was just one of those lines. Because great I remember man. Vic. Vic was such a character. Yeah, he was. Oh, yeah. And he, and here he did that. And Vic, he lives in Spain now. You know, he's moved to, he's moved to Spain. So, but that was just one of those great moments. Um, but, um, and the other one, well, great moments, I suppose, one of the disaster areas was, uh, which, you know, a mutual friend, Lyndon Jenkins, was involved in, was with Kathy Battle. Yeah. I have to be a bit careful with this one because I think this battle is still um, litigious. Uh, well, I, <laughs> it was a it was a very difficult evening, and uh, there was a, obviously not a very good relationship between her and her uh, her pianist, accompanist. And at the end of the evening, he did the pianist did the encore, and that was it. Oh, and he went. Well, she was then in tears afterwards. You know that. So um, Lyndon, Lyndon and I had to do the concert. I said, would you like, uh, would you like to sit down for and have a, a drink now, uh, Miss Battle? And she said, uh, oh, yes, I would. I said, what, what would you like to drink? And she said, champagne, of course. And it was just like, it switched it off. Said, champagne, of course. And I said, okay, fine. So at two o'clock in the morning, we were still drinking champagne with Miss Battle. Oh, dear. Heady days. <laughs> Heady days, those were, yeah. And no, she was, I think, quite a, I think she was quite a difficult, um, quite a difficult temperamental lady, but 
but a great singer, no question of it. You know, but, uh, so um, Andrew, hmm. when you finally leave this mortal coil or whatever the phrase is, which is a, a long time ahead of you yet, oh, I want to yeah. ask you, what's, what's the one thing you most want to be remembered for? Oh, I don't know. Um, That's no good. You got to answer. <laughs> well, I always want. I don't want. I, I mean, I, 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 I'd like to. I suppose remember to that headed up, a, you know, an organisation which which lent something back to the to the world a bit, you know, because I, you know, uh, you know, we. This is what's depressing about this whole COVID thing that the job that we were employed to do was to create was to was to put an audience together with actors authors composers musicians when i was running a theater you know what you're doing all you're doing is brokering uh, those moments the special moments that people have when they relate to the art and that's why so so you know if you've got if you want to be remembered for anything it was to bringing people together with the greatest artists in the world and i think that's as doesn't matter what what the artists are, whether they're pop artists or you know your Bruce Springsteen's or your your Valerie Gergiev's or your you know your, your, your Dame Margot Fontaine we had in Darlington years ago. You know, yeah, those are the moments that you. There's all sorts of moments you treasure, and you know, after what I was nearly fifty years in the business, so from being, I started working when I was in 1966 at the Alhambra Theatre when I was 16 and there's so many so many times you just go back onto oh my gosh that yeah I remember somebody said I should write a book but I'm not don't think I'm going to but I think you should consider it but if nothing else you've shown that you've created thousands if not millions of, of glorious memories for so many people by by facilitating those occasions by, you're, you're, by advocating you're, for them and making them happen you're a broker. You go looking for stuff, but you. But then, on the other hand, you know, you've got, you, you've, you've, you've got to then bring, bring everything together. So it's, it's the whole. Whether it's funded, if it's marketed, if it's, if it's uh, then serviced in the evening. So you've got, you know, the, the, the team that makes things happen, and just so you can buy a, a gin tonic. You know, you know, nobody ever really. You know, we get complaints in most businesses. Nobody really ever complained to me about music. They never ever said that music was awful. It was crap. It was terrible. Nobody ever did that. They so moaned about the fact they couldn't go to the toilet or the the gin was were being poured too long and it was watered down and you know all all those peripheral things are, that that we think of are peripheral that not there. But that's where you get. That's where that's where you have to make sure that. You have a seamless delivery of every every element of that experience, and the music will stand the fall of its own right. And people are very uh, generous in the way they 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 under, they they work that relationship out. The conductor, the composer, the the players. That but less. And I understand that they there's less compromise in terms of the peripherals where they where you've got a lot more comparatives. You know. The moment you walk on that platform, you know, you're into a special relationship with a thousand people. You know, that's what it's about. And that's what they're there to. They're, they're, there, to, they're there to enjoy themselves and they're there to, to support you and support that. They're there for the danger. They like, they do like danger. I think there's danger in everybody. 
I just hope that when the COVID thing gets properly sorted, you know, and we're less conscious of the of the um, uh, transmissibility of this, and we can get people closer together, that you need a that that people do respond to that, and and that they then start to get back to what was normal or some sense of normality, what used to be normal. And I don't think we're ever going to get back quite to that place as a new normal, but I don't quite know what that's going to be yet. I don't think it'll be about people being isolation. I think it's got to be about people being human beings together. It's been fascinating to get you to reminisce about so many wonderful events and so incredible things that you, that you achieved for so many people not just at Symphony Hall and Town Hall in Birmingham, but Warwick Arts Centre, other theatres you've, you've been involved in. So I'm really grateful to you for sharing all of those thoughts with us today. And, and let's hope that what you're, um, you're also hoping for post-COVID comes about, because we need to be together. We need to be sharing experiences. We need to be sharing art, music, culture everywhere. So Andrew, thank you very much. My pleasure, my pleasure. It's lovely to see you. Simple philosophies executed in the most engaging of manners. Perhaps the key to success in many areas. And also, eye-opening in terms of what the confluence of vision and inspired civic leadership can achieve. Next time, my guest is the celebrated composer Sir James Macmillan. It's a relaxed chat about all manner of things, but mostly, of course, about just what it takes to become one of the finest composers of our age. I'm Andrew Constantine, and you've been listening to A Stick with a Point. <laughs>